Hi there, it's Nikki. I wanted to take a quick minute to make sure you knew about our free on-demand copywriting training. Whether you're brand new to copywriting or you just can't seem to hit your income goals, this training is for you. You'll learn the three secrets to landing freelance copywriting work without wasting time on frustrating job bidding sites like Upwork and Fiverr or cold calling strangers. And if you've listened to any of the student stories on this podcast, this is the exact same training they all got started with. I'm talking about Kate Kay, who's making six figures working part-time and who just retired her husband to help her run the business. Stuart, who replaced his full-time salary with freelance copywriting work, and then some. Stacy, who hit six figures in six months, her very first year as a full-time freelancer. Ashley, who landed the in-house copywriting job of her dreams. They all started with this free training, and you can get started with that same training too. Sign up right now at freecopywritingtraining.com. Are you ready to learn the keys to copywriting success? My name is Nikki Krawczyk, and I've been a copywriter for more than 20 years, writing for multi-billion dollar companies down to solopreneurs and every size business in between. My co-host Kate Sitars and I, along with the rest of the Filthy Rich Writer team, are sharing everything we've learned in our decades in the industry so that you can start and scale a successful copywriting business of your own. To us, being filthy rich means having a job you love, being good at what you do, and making great money doing it. Let's dig in. Hey there, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Build Your Copywriting Business podcast. Hey there, Kate. Hello, hello. Hello. Okay, so today, actually, I really think Kate's going to lead the conversation here because she has always been much, uh, much more conscientious about this topic than I have. I have not been sloppy, but she's just been much more conscientious about it. We're talking about finances, personal finances, when it comes to your freelance clients and freelance businesses. Um, I have always been good about tracking my numbers, what invoices are out there, what invoices I'm waiting on, what I have transferred for taxes. taxes yeah. Yup. But that's really the tip of the iceberg. And the things that we're going to talk about today are not difficult by any means, but can be really, really beneficial for understanding what clients are I don't want to say worth working with because they're all worth working with, but what clients are bringing in more of your income and all kinds of exciting things. Mm -hmm. um, so Kate, where do you, where do you think we should start when it comes to this topic? Let's start. I think, well, tis, tis the season. If you're listening to this, when it comes out, if you're not, it's fine. Any time is good to review your financials and you should be doing it. Honestly, do a check-ins, put it on your calendar right now. Step one, put in quarterly check-ins for yourself especially if you're freelance, you've got to pay quarterly taxes. Um, so put those check-ins on your calendar and then continue continuously review it throughout the year. Honestly, though, I would look at it monthly, just once a month. That's what I do. I kind of, when I'm invoicing is when I take the time to also just take a high level look at what's going on with my finances and what clients, you know, obviously I'm sending out invoices for what clients owe me, but also kind of then taking as the year goes on a bigger look at month over month, what that, what that looks like. So schedule time in your calendar, definitely quarterly for a bigger look back monthly with your invoicing. If that's something you feel compelled to do as well, and mm -hmm. I would recommend it. And so when you say monthly, are you saying you check in every month to see what invoices you've sent out, what invoices you're still waiting on? Um, 
what you have transferred to your tax account, all of that mm-hmm. kind of thing? Is there anything Everything, else that you yeah. check? That's a good question. I should bring up my spreadsheet. So I have a spreadsheet and I, I recommend, I mean, CCS students know we, it's basically looks very much the same of invoice tracking. I think I added, um, I have one client that still sends a hard uh, a check. So I added a column of like when I receive the check versus when it goes through on my, my bank statement that it actually processes just to make sure that it's cleared. And, um, so yeah, so I break it down. I, I have each client in its own kind of section, if you will, uh, because I have a lot of recurring work with the same, the same clients. Sometimes there's, you know, a one-off project and they're in there too, obviously. But, uh, then I can see, I can take a look by each client. And this is really the key I find for me to be able to look at, okay, over the course of, 12 months or six months or a quarter, what, what does this picture looked like with this client? What is it consistent month over month, but also then weighing, and you can put a column in your, your spreadsheet, your invoice tracking, if you want. And I, I have a notes column, if you will, to remind myself of what went on with certain projects that month, how much energy did it take for me to work with this client because I have one client in particular, so easy to work with and it's such a pleasure. It doesn't feel like work. And so I make those notes. There was nothing out of the ordinary. This was, you know, standard month, carry on. They're not my highest paying client. I've talked about them before, but I'm going to keep them on my roster because it's enjoyable. It's fun work. And that's, that's why we do our work. Right. Uh, but then there's clients where it's enjoyable, but there can be headaches, there can be hiccups, there can be extra work that came down the pipe that wasn't necessarily planned for. And so by taking notes each month, I can, the next month, if I'm quoting a project, say, mm, oh yeah, the past three months, every project has involved a little more than maybe my project pricing accounted for, or just a little more energy and more of a, a, a brain energy suck. Maybe there's more of a higher level of stress. And so to account for that in my pricing, uh, that I know that there's going to be more time spent with this client. And then the other, oh, go ahead. I was going to say, do you ever write down a never again in your notes column? That's where I was going. Yeah. So I think I, not never again, but I think there, there becomes a clearer picture for me. There was one client, this was a couple of years ago where I'd worked with them for several years and I just started to realize, like looking back, it was like, nothing has changed. We we've tried and I've, you know, before letting go of a client, we'll link to that episode of how to, how to let go of a client. I, communicated with them. Here's what I, I really need to be able to do my job well. And for them, it was a timing issue. Their sales team sold a project to a client. And then I was like, here, go. And it was very, very rapid fire. The sales team was over-promising their, the end client of how quickly the creative team could, these were website builds from start to finish. So copy and design being at the front end of that, and they still need to then build the website and get it live and launch it. So the timing of these projects was always crunched and copy would be like 30 page website in a week go. And it was like, yeah, no, that's, it's not going to happen. Um, and you know, I tried to be flexible and, and, and it wouldn't happen a week, but Hey, what can we do to get the ball rolling and start feeding pages to the developer or whatever? But there was still that level of like, loved the team I worked with, loved the creative team, but it just became not worth it. And I think it's very easy at the end of a project to be like, okay, that wasn't so bad. And like, I got paid for it. And like, you forget what's happening in those feelings in the middle of the project. So I like to have it next to my numbers because the numbers don't tell the full project story. I want to know where my energy is going and what actually, oh yeah, 
oh yeah, I kind of forgot that that was a terrible project to work on. And there were, you know, not just working hours. I work off hours anyway, but hours I didn't want to work that I ended up working because things just got chaotic. Mm -hmm. And so it, for that one, it became, yeah, okay. If I'm being honest and looking at all of my notes and what really happened, I, it's time to let them go. And so it became, okay, they're paying well, not well enough for the toll it's taking on mm -hmm. me mentally, emotionally. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think, you know, people might be thinking like, if you worked with a client and it was crummy, you will remember, but not necessarily, especially if you do not work with a client and then you work with a bunch of other clients in between. And then this client comes back to you or, you know, there's some clients that you work with and then they come back a year later looking for more projects. Yes. And there are definitely clients yeah. that have been like, oh yeah, I think I liked working with her. So I'll, I'll take yes. that on. And then you finish the project. And, and you remember. Exactly. Or in my case, <laughs> I finished the project and sent the, the invoice. And then I was like, why do I remember there's something with the invoice? She took forever to pay invoices. Mm. I would have, I mean, she mm -hmm. would obviously, she would pay, but I would have to like remind her and remind her and remind her, which of course I had not, I could have, I suppose, factored that into the cost of the, the, but I didn't yeah. because I didn't right. remember because I didn't make yeah. that note. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Making notes. It's, it's a game changer, especially, you know, I, frankly, if it's a big project and you see like a $10,000 note in your spreadsheet, you're like, oh yeah, that was awesome. Oh, wait, no, it wasn't. That $10,000 maybe was spread out over a longer period of time. And was it truly $10,000? And even if it was $10,000 worth of your time, was it worth that much of your energy? Mm -hmm. And the answer can be no. And I think it's easier when you see those things side by side than when you just see the number and you're like, oh yeah, I want to hit that number again. And you can just with a client that is more pleasurable to work with than the ones that drive you up a wall. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I love that notes idea. It would have saved me a lot of misery. <laughs> it's easy to forget. I mean, we have, we have so much going on. So like the more that you can write down and then be able to reflect on during your financial meetings with yourself, the better. Um, the other thing with that is too, I, I look at, again, my lowest paying client, who's the most fun to work with over the course of a year, their projects tend to add up to 10, 12, $15,000 worth of work. So it's not nothing, but looking at just month, a single month on a spreadsheet, you might think, oh, was, was that really worth, was that really worth my time? And over the course of a year, year it becomes clear, like, yeah, it is. And then vice versa though, to be able to say, Ooh, this was, you know, this client is 80% of my work. A, that's to me very scary. I don't want one, all my eggs or that many eggs in in 80% of them in one basket, mm -hmm. if you will, in one client's basket. Uh, so kind of motivating you being able to see, Oh, maybe it's time to, maybe it's time to start pitching again and get some, some fresh clients in here. I'm relying too much on one or two clients. Uh, but also are they 80% of your work or your, your income? Are they also 80% of your energy mm -hmm. though? Or are they less of a percentage of your energy or are they a hundred percent of your energy? And then your other clients getting the short end of the stick. So you can better see with each client kind of what chunk of your income they are and then better manage your pitching from there and your outreach to, to new clients where maybe you see a client, oh yeah, I did work with them for the first quarter of the year. It's now Q3 and I haven't heard from them all second quarter. Let me reach out to them and send an idea to get work with them again. I loved working with them. Let me, let me do that. So 
taking all of these things into consideration, not just looking at your numbers, but looking at how that informs your entire business strategy, really, of who you're working with uh, and who you want to be working with. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think that the the percentage of your income per client is a really important thing that I think very few people actually take the time to break down. And it's not difficult if you look at your how how much you you made in a month and you look at how much you made from that client, it's just a matter of dividing to find out what that mm-hmm. percentage is. It's really not difficult. Um, for you, Kate, is there and I don't, I don't really think there would be a perfect magic number, but is, is there a number that you aim for or that you're uncomfortable with having one client contribute to a percentage of your, of your, like, if you're like, ooh, 80, like you were saying, 80% of my income coming from one client is just too much. Is there one, like, is there a threshold where you, where you're a little bit uncomfortable once it passes? That's a really great question. I think honestly past 50% for me becomes like, "Eh, okay, let's, let's look at this. Um, again, I think my threshold has probably changed as my income has grown. So for example, if, um, when I was first, first, first starting out, if it was like, I was going to make 70 or $80,000 in a year. Right. And so over 50%, if they're 40%, 40%, let's go with 80000 $80, $40,000 is from one client, that starts to feel a little ugh for me because I know if I get, if I lost that client or anything happened, I'm down to 40000 And that feels like, okay, we can work with that. I can start pitching again, but that's a, a significant ugh versus making $120,000, $130,000, $140,000 if 50% goes away. Okay, that's still really great salary to have 75,000 or whatever it is, seven, 70, yeah, 75, mm-hmm. um, in going and okay, that's, that's easy then to bridge that gap mm-hmm. to, to, to start pitching clients again and get some more work. Yeah. So I would say 50% is when I would start looking to be like, mm, okay, let's maybe start pitching again. Or is there a client I need to let go of because they're not bringing in, they're not kind of at the same level as all of my other clients in terms of how much I'm billing per project because I don't charge the same rates for each client. Um, many people don't, and that's totally fine. Uh, again, the my my fun client who literally can't afford to pay me anymore, I keep them because it's fun. Uh, but there are other clients that can't afford to pay my full rate. And of course, they're at my like, I won't go lower than rate. And I recommend everyone has that. If you don't already have that, it makes it much easier to turn down projects to say, if they're going to offer lower than this number, I will not, I will not move forward with this project. It doesn't work for me. It doesn't work for my financial goals. Um, and have that number in mind ahead of time. Cause otherwise then you'll be like, Oh yeah, maybe sure. I'll take this for, for 30 bucks an hour or whatever it is. And then you become miserable because that's not, you're not being paid what you're worth. Mm-hmm. So definitely have that, yeah. those numbers in mind, but yeah, 50% mm-hmm. it starts to get to 60, 75. Then it's like, Ooh, yeah. yeah. And is, I might as well be working full time at that point yeah. with one client. And is that a, a ratio that you examine on a monthly basis or is that more of the quarterly basis? That's especially it's it, depending on your client mix and how, you know, ongoing clients you've worked with. Obviously if you're just starting out and you're, this is your first month, I wouldn't look at it at your first month and start to like make drastic decisions because it's harder to see a full financial picture without a little bit more time and a little bit more data. I don't think one month you can, you can see too much. So 
I would say on more of a quarterly basis in the sense that though, if I'm looking at the beginning of January, maybe I'm looking back at my Q4 and seeing, does that kind of match up with the rest of, of the year? Was that an outlier kind of what's, what's going on? So looking at the number from a few different angles to, to really, really get that picture. But yeah, I would say more on a quarterly basis to weigh the, the client breakdown and how things are shaking out Mm -hmm. versus a month to month. That makes sense. And then, um, you were very good about, uh, which I have certainly gotten better, um, contributing to retirement accounts. Yes. And yep. I know you have those set up to to contribute automatically. Um, yep. When do you... Actually, it's not automatically. Oh, it's not. No, oh, no, no, no. Tell no. me more. So I, um, I... These, because I'm confident now and I've seen... I know I'm going to make a certain level of income each year from my, from my freelance work. Um, obviously that's changes that come on full time with, with Nikki media and, you know, um, but thinking to full-time freelance in particular, I knew I was going to be able to max out my, my retirement contributions. So at the very beginning of the year, I would, um, I shouldn't say very beginning. Uh, so I think that the limit is now 20,500, I would dump that as soon as possible for my employee contribution. Mm-hmm. The employer contribution is based on taxes. So I would always wait till after I'd done my taxes, um, taken all the deductions blah, 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 and saw like the max number I could contribute as the employer side, the employer, because again, if you're single and entity, just yourself, whether sole proprietor, even if you're an LLC running by yourself, you are taxed the same way as a sole proprietor. Don't quote me on all of this. <laughs> Look it up. We are not financial experts, but <laughs> I can link to the IRS, at least for the Americans. That is that is the mm-hmm. case. And so, but you can contribute to a, a self-401k as both the employee and the employer. So I do my employee contribution almost as soon as possible because I know, okay, I've hit 20500 Great. I can dump all of that money, literally. Then it's just essentially saying I've, I've made nothing because... I've contributed that much. Mm-hmm. Um, do you keep that in a separate account? Or do you just keep that it money. in your business account? Yeah, what you... I just keep it in the business okay. account. And then as soon as I hit that, you know, feel, want to contribute it to the retirement, mm-hmm. I contribute it to the retirement. Okay. Okay. But yeah, I know I have that on my radar, if you will, for the first like February, March. Honestly, it's usually around tax time. When I'm doing my taxes for the year before, I'm contributing my employer contribution um, and then um, the employee for the current year, okay. if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It does. It does. But if you're listening and it doesn't make sense, uh, there are all kinds of resources out there that um, yeah. to, to dig into. And if any of this too, you can also spend a little time paid to spend an hour with an accountant and they can walk you through yeah. everything. Yeah. Yeah. And I will say, I think set it aside in a separate account. If you are serious about contributing to your retirement and you don't feel like you're going to have that lump sum, I've, I've been shouldn't say lucky because I'm not. It's been very intentional in that I've just saved a lot of money so that I can do that mm-hmm. in a lump sum and just get it done at the beginning of the year. It has more time to compound interest, all that good stuff. The market's down, yes, but it's fine. It's just going to be in there. We're going to ride it out. <laughs> um, yeah. Well, and it's, I think, because I, we recommend having a separate account for your um, for your tax money as you, some money comes in, yeah. set it aside into a separate account for your taxes. So it's, it's either less tempting to dig into that tax yep. money or just, you don't realize if you're like, oh yeah, I have 40 grand in here for my taxes. And then oops, you accidentally spent some of it, not even meaning to. Um, so it's, if you understand and on top of your, your finances, 
regularly the way that Kate is, you could keep it all together. I think probably I, knowing myself, I would probably separate. And there's so many, um, so many, especially online banking where you can have multiple separate checking accounts. You can have your main business account. And then as soon as something goes, you can transfer money to your taxes and then transfer money to your, um, to your to be invested account. Yeah. And honestly, I should speak from a place of what I would do if I wasn't, I know, again, I know I'm going to do a lump sum and I'm going to max out my contribution. That's my goal. I want to max it out. And so I'm going to do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, For many people, I feel like what makes sense is I'm going to do a percentage of my income each month or whatever it is, you know, say you want to invest 10% into your retirement account. And so taking what that 10% number is each month, okay, here's what I actually made. I'm going to take 10% of that, put it in my retirement account to invest. And maybe you do automate that, honestly. I mean, that's that's the only reason I don't is because, again, I'm doing just all at once the lump Mm -hmm. sum, which um, I want to make sure I've made that money before I invest it as a business. So then the IRS isn't like, well, you invested $20,000 in your retirement, but you made... 10. How is that? How is that? (laughs) Don't worry about it, government. Yeah. How are you doing that? They will worry about it. Yeah. 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 Calculate. And I would do that beforehand. And, and, you know, some of the, as you're looking at revenue from last year, but also looking at your revenue goals for this year, thinking about what are your, okay, here's what I need to set aside in taxes, but what are my financial goals beyond what I'm making? What are my long-term, do I want to start saving in a retirement account? What does that look like? What percentage feels good to me for me in my goals? And again, do, do that math of, okay, if it was play around with it, you don't have to, what's 5%. What does that equal? If, if roughly your income each month is a certain amount, here's what 5% is. Here's what 7% is. If I bump it up to 10, if I bump it up to 12, what are those numbers and what does that look like over the course of the year? Um, and frankly, it hurts a lot less to do it on a percentage on, on a monthly basis than to do yeah. just all at once. Like, <laughs> well, and so that's, those are questions that you ask on a yearly basis, probably right around this time, right around the, the new exactly. year. Yeah. Um, yeah. what other questions financially are you asking yourself or are you evaluating at this time of year? Yeah, at the beginning of the year, I think it's helpful to set that revenue goal for the year. Um, I always look back to see what did I make last year? What were my expenses last year? Okay, what did I truly take in? Um, And so then, okay, looking ahead this year, does it make sense based on whatever's going on in your life? You know, things things might change. Maybe you go from full-time to part-time or really, really part-time or whatever it is. So not feeling like, okay, I made this full time. And so now I'm going to make this working two hours a week. Maybe if you feel like there, you have a plan for that, but also setting it so that you don't feel discouraged. If you, you know, you want to reach, you want to, you want to have that financial goal and make it, and maybe you adjust that goal halfway through the year. That is something I would look at to see is this, is this still feeling right based on everything that's going on in life. A lot can happen in a quarter, in a six months. Um, and certainly obviously beyond that. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I set up, okay, what, what, what do I kind of want to aim for this year? What does that mean? How many uh, projects roughly does that mean each month? Do I need more clients to hit this number? Do I need about the same amount of clients? Am I adjusting my rates? Um, we'll link to that episode as well that we recorded. Um, obviously, if you're doing it on a project basis, it's much easier to kind of just factor in some rate increases and not have to announce that per se. Obviously, if you're hourly, you want to give your client a little bit of a heads up that that you're doing that. Um, but yeah, looking at 
what I'm what I'm charging and does it still feel accurate for the value I'm adding and the value I'm bringing to clients. And the other big thing I'm looking at is, are there any big expenses I have coming up this year? So for example, last year, I knew I wanted to take a trip to Italy, which I, I was just looking at CCA Students Know, the Right Start workbook, which I did fill out. And I was looking back just now uh, from 2022, 20, 2023, ooh, what year is it? Uh, 2021s, I guess then. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's 2021, looking at 2022. And I had my, my Italy goal in there. So I knew that that was coming up. So same thing for this year. Okay, what are there big things that I want to maybe make a little extra for or like hit a slightly higher revenue goal to cover these expenses uh, and just be prepared for? Or am I going to contribute less to retirement one month because I really, really, really want to go on a trip? That's not how I do I retirements first. I love to retire real early, folks. That's that's my goal. Um, and then just thinking about my revenue goals in general of are they really based on what I want or am I looking, Am I? is this a comparison number? Is this me saying, well, even comparison with past self, that was uh, folks who listened to my um, episode where I shared some of my salary numbers from when I was full-time freelance. Setting a freelance income goal now that I'm not full-time freelance is definitely a little bit trickier knowing that like, I'm not going to make that same amount that I was making full-time. I'm just not. And that's okay. And so not comparing with myself and my past self. um, And also even when I hit that number to know like, I'm not going to set a revenue goal that's even higher because I knew how hard I worked. So it was like, actually, let's hit a goal that's ten or $20,000 less and I'm still going to be perfectly happy and fine with like just a little less, little less chaos going on. And so not comparing with myself, not comparing with other people as well to say, oh, that person's, I think, make, we don't even know what other people are making. It, they project what they might yeah. be making, but that's not actually, and so that's not helpful in goal setting. Yeah. So looking looking internally as much as possible to say, what, what do I really want? And more of what do I want and how are the financial numbers going to support that goal? Mm -hmm. Because finances are a tool. They're not necessarily hitting a, you know, great. I made a million dollars. Like, cool. If you don't have anything you want to do with that, then yeah. What good's that million dollars? Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's a great point. Yeah. Um, and I do want to mention before we go, the the Right Start workbook and uh, the Right Start um, uh, the right Start event, which was really just kind of a kickoff on how to fill out the, the workbook. Um, all of CCA students get it. Um, you will find it in your dashboard. If you are not yet a CCA student, you can still <laughs> hop into the course and get access to the workbook uh, and still set your 2023 up um, to be successful. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's at any point in the year, yeah, really. really. Even if you come July, August, it's still mm-hmm. so many months in the year to mm-hmm. exactly, yeah. exactly. And these are important goals. And we talk uh, in that workbook. We talk about financial goals, yes, but all kinds of other goals as well, lifestyle mm-hmm. goals, and and all kinds of stuff. Um, so I don't want to forget to mention that. But Kate, this has been super duper helpful. This is one of those episodes that I think people are going to be like, "Ooh, I need to re-listen again and take notes." And then I didn't pause. expect to be interviewed, but well done. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> learn from you. I'm a terrible interviewer. Yeah. I've learned a lot from you. Um, but thank you. This was really, really helpful. Yeah, and helpful. Um, actually, I have some notes of things that I need to go back and add to my tracking sheet. So thank you. Yeah. Uh, and with that, everyone, we'll catch you in the next episode. Bye, everybody. Like what you heard? Subscribe to the Build Your Copywriting Business podcast so you never miss any copywriting tips, tools, or tactics. And if you think copywriting might be right for you, check out our free on-demand video training at freecopywritingtraining.com. 
We'll catch you in the next episode.